We're just two months in and, in and 2018 is already proving to be a banner year for Philadelphia. I don't know about you, but I'm still pinching myself that the Eagles are Super Bowl champions. So, yes, in his annual budget address to city council, Mayor Jim Kenney predictably invoked Philly's favorite underdogs, its champion Eagles. But he did so to make a somber point. Truth is, I believe the real Philadelphia underdogs are our students. Hundreds of thousands of preschoolers, children, teens, young women and young men who have been poorly served by an underfunded school district. Kenny then reminded council members that the job of addressing this quandary sits squarely with him and with them. Why? Because of a choice they made together. In November, I stood before you and made the case for a locally controlled school board. And with your support, we are moving diligently in that direction. Kenny then outlined his plan to raise taxes to provide as much as $1 billion in new revenue for the Philly schools over the next five years. I stand here today ready to be held personally accountable for this. I do so because I envision a day when we are cheering not only athletes on the parkway, but also students at a podium, holding diplomas, holding scholarships, holding job offers, and holding the hands of their proud family members. Students, for the first time, are holding on to the realization they are no longer underdogs. They are champions. Some council members applauded, but others balked. Once again, the words schools, deficits, and taxes bumped up against each other like cars in a Schuylkill Expressway traffic jam. I'm Chris Satulo, and this is 20 by 70, the podcast for people who expect more from Philadelphia. It's brought to you by the Committee of 70, the city's longtime advocate for quality governance. And today, we're going to sort through the whys and hows of Kenny's plan to expect more from Philadelphians' wallets. To help us do that, we're joined here in the Wexler studio in Kelly Ryder's house on the Penn campus by Kristen Graham. She's the Pulitzer Prize-winning education reporter at the Philadelphia Inquirer. And she's a person whose Twitter feed has long been a must-follow for anyone who wants to know what's really going on in this town. Thanks for joining us, Kristen. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, Let's start with uh, mentioning another quote from Kenny's speech to council. In selling his tax play, he said, These are our kids. They're no one else's kids. And no one else is coming to their rescue. Not from Harrisburg and not from Washington, D.C., God God knows. Um, So, Kristen, why do you think he stressed that point so much, and is he right about that? Well, I think history has told us that he's right about that. The school district has been controlled by the School Reform Commission for the past 16 years, and the SRC took over with the promise of more money from uh, Harrisburg, and that just has not come to pass. You know, there was more money in the beginning of the SRC's era, um, but lately, really, the city has had to step up to fill in uh, some pretty significant funding gaps to the tune of hundreds of millions of dollars. And so, yeah, I mean, no one else is coming to the to the city's rescue at this point. So now, Kristen, Kenny is at a moment when the SRC, as you mentioned, is disbanding and is going to be replaced shortly with an appointed school board. And he has proposed to city council that the city generate nearly a billion dollars more in money for the schools over the next five years. Where's that money going to come from? Well, I mean, you know, obviously the mayor said a 
chunk of it is going to come from property taxes. And I think ultimately, you know, some will, but it's, you know, it's the opening gambit. You know, we have to see what gets what gets done in the legislative process. We have to see what, you know, city council comes up with. Um, you know, lots of people are talking about things like uh, the real estate abatement and, you know, whether that should be tackled for part of the money. Um, things like the real estate tax, liquor by the drink, use and occupancy. Um, you know, I think everything is on the table. I remember when the mayor first, you know, said that this was going to happen, that local control was coming. He said everything is on the table. And obviously, you know, he made his proposal, which relies heavily on a real estate tax. But I think, um, you know, we're going to see in the next few months exactly what happens. Do you have a sense of what might happen to the education in public schools in Philadelphia if they don't come up with that money? We know exactly what would happen. Uh, in 2013, there was a huge funding gap uh, cut in state aid, and the school district was forced to lay off every counselor, every assistant principal, support staff. Uh, dozens of nurses were cut, and schools were really at bare bones. Um, you know, there was no money for paper. There was no money for books. That was when you heard about teachers, you know, crowdfunding to, you know, bring toilet paper into schools. Um, and so... You know, those things have gradually been added back, and now we're at a level where those cuts have largely been restored. But, um, you know, it really felt like the world was ending in a lot of schools. I mean, the heat was on, the lights were on, but, you know, um, there, there were a lot of things that we think of as, as part of school that just weren't there. Now, how many students are we talking about here? There are 130,000 in traditional public schools and about 65,000 more in 86 charter schools. Which are schools funded with public dollars, even though they're run independently to a degree from the school district. Correct, correct. They are authorized by the school district, but they're run independently. But it's very important to note that their funding is based on the school district's funding. So it's a year behind. So if, you know, the school district were to have massive cuts in you know, 2018, 2019, then in 2019, 2020, the charter school um, funding would go down considerably. So they are not immune from what happens to the school district. In, in rough numbers, what's the overall size of the school budget? Uh, it's about $3 billion. Okay. So what you hear from folks, you know, who don't pay much attention, who don't pay anywhere near as much attention as you do, are, and also what you hear from uh, Republicans in Harrisburg a lot is, that's a lot of money. How can that not be enough? Is there another way of talking about, you know, the fu the funding available to the school district that sort of sharpens the point of why they need more money? Well, here's the thing. The the amount that the school district controls is actually very small. So you have, you know, what's already been allocated in terms of, you know, you have to have this many uh, teachers. The teacher's contract has already been agreed to. What they control is very small. And as we know, the SRC and soon the school board will be the only one in Pennsylvania that does not raise its own revenue. So basically, they have to go begging to the state, to City Hall to say, you know, here's our money. Um, and so, you know, you also hear from people, well, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of waste and, and fraud and, you know, they they have a bloated, you know, whatever. Um, you know, and certainly it's a it's a bureaucracy, but at the same time, the district's operating costs are under four percent, which is minuscule for for a an operation that size. Now we have a superintendent, William Height, who's been around a while, and he's actually taken some steps around um, efficiency and cost cutting. The things that people said the school district could do for years, he's done some of that. He has, he has, and um, you know the finances under the current chief financial officer, Ari Monson, and the previous financial officer, uh, Matt Stansky, you know, are generally recognized as being you know really good stewards of public money. 
generally recognized by people who pay close attention, but maybe not in Harrisburg. It right, seems right. And it's easy to say, well, $3 billion is a lot of money. How can they not, you know, educate those kids with $3 billion? But also you have to understand that the kids who are in Philadelphia schools are, you know, are are needier than than kids in a lot of other you know suburban districts that we're talking about. These are kids who are English language learners. These are kids who are you know might have special needs or or you know have other behavioral needs. And so it's expensive. There's also you know rising special ed costs. That's something that districts in the suburbs are also dealing with. Every year it's more expensive. And Philadelphia, because it has such a robust charter community, has, spends nearly eight hundred million dollars in in charter expenses. And those are kids who you know buy and large would be in the public school system and, you know, are not or in charter schools instead. And, and, you know, when a kid leaves a school district school, you can't necessarily cut that expense. You know, some would argue that the school district has not been aggressive enough in closing schools to compensate for the kids who have fled to charters. But at the same time, it's not, you know, it's not a straight, you can't draw a straight line from, you know, a kid leaves a school to right. closing a school. You can't have a class, for example, go from 30 students to 29 and laid off a teacher. Exactly. You, you have a bus that used right. to have 40 kids right. that has 35. You still, you still have don't. to heat the building. You yeah. still have to buy supplies. Right. It, what The measure that's often used is per-pupil spending, essentially taking the amount of money the school district has, dividing it by the number of students. Where is Philadelphia trending statewide in terms of that? It, there was a point at which... When Ed Rendell was governor and the um, the situation in Harrisburg was different, there were more powerful lawmakers from Philadelphia where that number was actually creeping up somewhere to the median for the state. But where does it sit now? You know, I'm going to I'm going to I'm blanking on the exact number, but it is definitely well below the median. And when you look at something like, you know, Lower Marion or Radnor, which is, you know, near the near the top of the pack, um, you know, I, I want to say they're over twenty thousand dollars. Philadelphia is nowhere near that. And again, these are kids who are needier. So in theory, it would cost more to educate these students. So over the last decade, you've covered uh, any number of stories, just annual rounds of discussions of school closings, of budget crises, of, you know, who's going to get laid off, what's going to happen, attempts to attack, you know, some of the the big uh, cost centers, the pension plan, teacher salaries. Um, Having covered all that, you've also covered the drumbeat um, from communities and neighborhoods around Philadelphia that the problem is this SRC, the partial state control of the school district. We need to get the schools back in the control of the city. That's going to happen now. Um, Will it make any difference in your view? Well, in my view, um, it's it's kind of one of those things, be careful what you wish for, because soon we're going to find out. Um, I think... I hope no one thinks that, you know, the SRC goes away on June 30th and on July 1st, you know, all our problems are solved because you're going to have nine, I'm sure, very well-intentioned, very smart um, people take seats on the school board. And highly paid. Oh, highly paid with their salary of exactly zero. Um, And they're still going to have, you know, the problem that the SRC faces, which is they can't raise their own money. They still have to ask politicians in City Hall who have clearly said, you know, we want to do this, we want to fund the schools, and in Harrisburg who have, you know, been a little a little less warm in their saying that they want to fund Philadelphia schools. Um, and I think that underlies everything. So will it be better? I mean, I think generally it's better if the folks who are close to the situation control the situation, right? So I think the school board, you know, will understand a little bit better 
you know, the needs of the of the district. And because of that relationship with the city, um, you know, maybe it'll be easier to to get things done. But um, at the same time, it's it's not a magic bullet. It's not going to solve everything. Um, you know, and the problems where most kids aren't reading at grade level, most kids aren't aren't doing math at grade level. You know, that doesn't change with the school board. A lot of, you know, some of the problems are governance, governance problems, but lots of the problems are academic problems. Right. Do you think there's a chance that if the new appointed school board has to make some of the tough decisions, whether about opening, closing charters, closing um, um, traditional schools, budget cuts, new ta- you know, at least requesting new revenue, new taxes, that there'll be more trust in their decision making that than the SRC, the School Reform Commission members had, at least by the end of their tenure. Well, yeah, I mean, I think by by definition, they will have to. I've I've sat through many many school board meetings, and you know it. Really, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of um, people who feel like the SRC is the root of the school district's problems, um, and so I think the school board will have more trust to begin with. But they they also have to. It's it's not going to be. They're not going to get an automatic pass because they're a locally controlled board. It's it's you know they're going to have the same tough audience ready to to hate them that, that the yeah, SRC so, had. So, Kristen, you've sat probably through as many of these as anyone. Um, could you sort of describe the, I'm going to call it the ritualized drama of a school reform commission meeting, at least in the latter years? So, um, you know, it, it's all centered around the the public comment portion. And there is, you know, a group of, of folks who are education activists who sign up and speak at every meeting and and you know for a long time we're talking about the SRC going away and and are very uh, critical of things the SRC does and usually it could last for several hours you know sometimes there were personal attacks on SRC members assistant superintendents were nestled snug in their beds with visions of ten thousand dollar bonuses dancing in their heads. <laughs> You know, people brought would sing song original songs they wrote. It was it was you know highly entertaining at points and and really uncomfortable at others. Um, you know, because whatever you think about these folks, they are volunteers. Um, no one is doing this to to get rich, obviously. And and you know, most people are I I think are doing it genuinely because they they feel like the schools are Philadelphia's most important um, resource, its most important problem, um, and want to help fix that. So the new school board, how many people will be on it and how are they getting picked? Um, so there will be nine members of the new school board. Um, they are now, um, will all be chosen by Mayor Kenny. Um, when the SRC took the vote in November to dissolve itself, that kind of triggered a process where the mayor named a nominating panel. So there were 13 members of the nominating panel, people from around the city. It was a group of like parents. There were business people know, um, people who kind of uh, represented a diverse swath of the city. And, um, you know, they went through resumes. So 500 people raised their hands and either said, I want to be on the school board or nominated someone else from the school board. Um, The nominating panel went through those resumes. They interviewed about 80 people in person. You know, some were asked for more questions. They went, you know, they had to submit you know, ethics questionnaires. They had to. They had to. You know, really go through a thorough vetting process. 
And so at the end of February, the nominating panel came forward and said, OK, these are 27 people by, by city charter. The nominating panel had to come up with three people for every uh, spot on the school board. So they had to come up with a list of 27 people. The mayor now has the list of 27 in front of him. And from that, he will choose nine people by the end of uh, March. And it's a really quick turnaround. Who are some of the interesting names in the nominees? Um, well, two current SRC commissioners, and I think there's a good likelihood that they will both be named to the school board. Um, Joyce Wilkerson, who is the chair, who was nominated, who was picked by Mayor Kenny, and Chris McGinley, um, who is a commissioner, who is a former school district teacher, Lower Marion superintendent, um, has some real Philadelphia bona fides. He's a commissioner. Um, and he was also named, um, you know, you have people whose names I frankly had not heard of at all. And I talked to the mayor's folks right after the nominating panel gave their, um, gave the list to the mayor's folks. And they said, you know, this is exciting because some of these names are not, you know, people who, who you expect. Um, you know, there are, there are some parents, um, there are some people who have been active in the charter sector. Um, you know, there, there are, I'm thinking of a, a woman named Tanya Ba who has been very vociferous against charter schools and, and um, you know, for the SRC to go away. So there really is kind of a cross-section. Um, it'll be interesting. Okay. Kristen, I know you're in the fact business, not the advice business. But um, when these folks sit down at their first um, meeting in July, I guess it'll be, what advice would you give them? Where to look, what to think about, how to approach their jobs? Wow. Um, you know, that's really tough because I've, you know, as often as I've covered the SRC, I've never been in that room. Um, and I can just imagine, I mean, this is a, it's, it's, there's going to be, I think people will get into it with the best intentions, but they'll find out pretty quickly that this is political. You're, you're, you know, named by the mayor and, um, you know, suddenly you have people from lots of education interests coming at you, you know, people who want contracts, people who think that their sector isn't being represented. Um, and so in in terms of, of where to look and, and what to do, I mean, they're, they're going to have a big task in front of them. Kristen Graham joining us from the Philadelphia Inquirer. She is the great prize-winning education reporter for the Inquirer. Thank you, Kristen. Thanks for having me, Chris. Twenty by seventy comes to you each time in partnership with Young Involved Philadelphia. Yip engages, connects, and represents younger Philadelphians. Its board prep program helps prepare young professionals to serve on nonprofit boards. In fact, a couple of that program's alumni now serve as Buckholtz Fellows on the Committee of Seventies Board. Young Involved Philadelphia, making Philadelphia better in many ways. Okay, now let's uh, bring in David Thornburg, uh, the CEO and president of the Committee of 70. Uh, David, you were listening as Kristen Graham was talking about what's up with the school district, right? Well, 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 well. Let's just put on the table and then take off the table the governance change. Um, you know, 70's long been in favor of uh, a, a mayoral-appointed school board. I think we've all come to the conclusion that this SRC thing seemed like a good idea at the time, but frankly, all the prime movers and sponsors of that in Harrisburg have moved on, and it's a sh it's a shadow of its former self. So, end of conversation about uh, governance. The money question is is a more complicated and a complex one. Um, I'll separate it into two pieces. Do we we 
figuring out who the we is, need to put more money in the schools to inspire the confidence of people sending their kids there and so forth? I, I think so. Um, you know, for a whole host of reasons, as you pointed out, talking to Kristen, you, you know, we, we have not seemed to hit sort of a, a level of adequacy that uh, we feel good about that would give the superintendent the sort of wind at his back to do what I think, you know, we like what he's doing and he's capable of. My concern comes uh, from the fact that Philadelphia is a poor city, meaning, you know, taxes are, are levied on a tax base. You know, a, a property tax base is a percentage based on the, essentially the value of your home or that uh, office building or the retail shop or what have you. And you, one of the things I don't think we pay enough attention to in Philadelphia is those is the tax base, the, the, the collected value of all of that real estate in this case. I have seen numbers that, you know, uh, Philadelphia has only 15% of the tax base per pupil of Lower Marion School District. What that means is it's actually easier and less painful for Lower Marion to raise school funds than it is for Philadelphia. And I think, uh, and I think there's lots of research around this, that, um, you know, for the longest time, we have had a tax base problem in Philadelphia. So just to wind all this up, I, I'm, I'm guessing that in the back of Jim Kennedy's mind, that stepping forward and says, saying, we got to support the schools, is in fact trying to instill confidence in residents and employees uh, who work in the city of Philadelphia um, that the future is going to be brighter than the present, and in fact, that will help that tax base number go up. But it's it's kind of a gamble, and there's there's not really much room for error. Yeah, but isn't it going up? I mean, like you, I live in the city. I live on the edge of Center City, so walk into '70s offices uh, right on South Broad Street over to Penn almost every day, and everywhere I go, there's construction. There's cranes building big towers and then, you know, there's the roads blocked off and the, the orange jersey barriers around, you know, blocking off sidewalks around condo development after condo development after condo development. So doesn't that boost the tax base? I'm going to give you a yes and no. The ubiquitous two-handed economist, right? Because I used to play an economist. Now right. I play like a governance guy. I used right. to play an economist. Right. Um, you know, much of that, I would feel better if those cranes were building uh, – commercial office buildings where people work rather than condos for, say, empty nesters who have, are moving from the suburbs to the city uh, and, and want to spend their retirement years in, in the city. And most of the cranes are putting up either uh, university facilities, healthcare facilities, or, res or residential uh, you know, condos and apartments and so forth. So they don't generate the same you know, in broad terms, sort of the same kind of uh, economic contribution um, that commercial office uh, buildings do. And if you look at commercial office rents, they've been sort of flat forever and, and like ludicrously affordable relative to other big cities on the East Coast, which suggests that there's actually a demand problem, I think. Um, so I get so point, not so fast with the cranes. Yeah, but... I understand what you're saying, but let me give another viewpoint. Um, this city funds its operations primarily through a wage tax. So I've been sort of beating this drum back to my days at the Acquire Editorial Bar for a long time. The future of Philadelphia, I would argue, 
is not in terms of trying to attract or rebuild industrial or old-style jobs. It's in um, the fact that it's a wage tax. It can become a commuter, essentially a bedroom community for jobs that are located in the suburbs, and it can also be um, a real magnet and has proved to be a real magnet for people in the tech and design industries who are basically working close to home in small outfits or building their own entrepreneurial um, ventures neighborhood by neighborhood. That's, that's how the economy of Philadelphia can rebound and has, been, in fact, been rebounding, um, at least in some parts, for a long time. And so if you realize that the bulk of your money is coming from the wage tax, just getting people who are high earners is a perfectly good strategy. Now, when we get back to the school district, that's the problem. Right. That wage tax is not earmarked for the school district. Right. The property tax is earmarked yeah. for the school district. I mean, on this question, I'm going to give it a maybe. Yeah. I mean, that's a, that's the half full version of what the yeah. future looks like. The the you know 30, 40 years of the past relative to the wage tax, uh, I'm thoroughly bought into the notion that it's been a very destructive form of taxation because it's taxed something that's mobile. While um, and it all comes down to the value proposition. Like I live and work in Philadelphia, uh, and I, the what I enjoy about the city, all of its amenities, including schools and so forth, is worth the package. I work outside the city, while I still live in Philadelphia. That I may come to a point where I think like maybe I look across the neighbor's fence to the suburbs, and I think you know if I moved to. Uh, Upper Darby or Media or um, South Jersey or whatever, all of a sudden I pay less. And do I really do my does my amenity package really all right, decline? Well, your your situation? wage tax you know? goes down, but your property taxes go through the roof. One thing Philadelphians are very slow to recognize is they've long had a pretty good deal on property taxes versus you know those schools with those wonderful facilities and those highly paid teachers that are always cited in, in kind of an envious comparison with the city. Suburbanites, I used to be one of them, pay for those schools through property taxes that can be as much as fourteen or $15,000 a year. I mean, I dare you to find you know more than a handful of Philadelphians who pay remotely close to that in property taxes. Well, I would feel better all about this if the employment trajectory of Philadelphia were as robust as it's been in uh, Boston and Washington and New York and San Francisco and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, the, and it hasn't been. And, you know, um, but, but because really that is like, that, that's what builds the base. That's what builds the demand. That's people who want to buy houses, whose presence in office buildings makes the uh, office rents go up. And, you know, that's that's the missing piece uh, that yeah. has been missing for literally decades. Yeah. So, and I agree with you. We're, we're dealing in a race against time. We have a lot of um, young people, well-educated, who've been attracted to Philadelphia by its, its, right. its nature, its diversity, its arts and culture, but also its relatively low yeah. cost. But now they're having children and, yeah. you know. But I, mean, but, I, I, but I think the big difference, David, just to complete the point, versus 20 years ago or 30 years ago, like, around the time I was moving here with young children is, and I, I'm not sure policymakers have caught up with this change, this generation of younger Americans, at least 
the ones we have here already, are here because they prefer urban living to suburban living. They regard it as a defeat or some kind of sacrifice <laughs> of their values. I mean, I've talked well, to plenty of them. Moving to the suburbs is not something they want to do. They will do only if forced by yeah. the school situation. I think you're a little more optimistic about that. <laughs> um, I go back to, you know, the days we have two big generations in this country right now, the boomers and uh, the millennials. The early days of the boomers, let's just say in the 70s, there was this surge of interest in living in the city. And then things changed. You know, you went from 25 to 35 and, you know, kids and job and mortgage and so forth and so on. And, and people moved to the suburbs. So I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that the pattern will repeat itself which is all the more reason for the urgency, I think, of, of literally like the next 10 years. Right. And, and, and Jim Kenney is, is making a bet that says, I can increase the confidence of that young parent who, who could be vulnerable to leaving because they're seeing me step forward and say, we got to support the schools and, and we're going to make them better. Right. And, you know, my, my personal view is as someone who, you know, rose up to my full height and stood on my soapbox for years and lectured Harrisburg about um, devoting more money to schools and sometimes the city itself, it's now my turn yeah. as a as a you know townhouse owner in the center city to step up. I don't have an abatement anymore. It'll it'll be a, a fairly big hit. Yeah. You know, on our household budget, but I'm saying there's no better cause for me to spend tax money on yeah. anywhere at the state level, at the federal level than helping Bill Height make these schools yeah. better. Well, you know, this is actually the argument that Jeremy Nowak and uh, uh, Bruce Katz made on this very podcast a couple of weeks back, which is there is no more 7th Cavalry coming from Washington or Harrisburg. Problem solving is all local. So, like, step up to it and and embrace it and, and own it and do the best you can. And I think that that's clearly, like, frames this whole discussion and, and, and how the mayor and council are going to play out on this. Okay, sounds like a good place to end. Thanks, David. Beauty. Okay, then. That's it. Another episode of the podcast that gives Philadelphia the tough love it so often needs. Thanks to all the people who helped make it happen, including our guest, Kristen Graham of the Philadelphia Inquirer and Philly.com. And as always, to Philly Civic Yoda, 70 CEO, David Thornburg. Ably making it all happen on the other side of the glass are our producer, Joel Patterson, and our wonderful Wexler studio engineer, Zach Cardner. Thanks also to Young Involved Philadelphia and the gang at the Committee of 70 who helped make these 20 or so minutes happen. If you got something out of this episode, there's plenty more waiting for you under the 20 by 70 flag at SoundCloud and iTunes. In fact, wherever fine podcasts are purveyed. If you like what you hear, please share us on Facebook, tweet us out to your followers, and by all means, say something nice in the ratings and reviews. Word of mouth is the best friend of a scrappy little podcast like ours. And once you've done all that, as usual, here's the final mission we have for you. Expect more Philadelphia. August 1920, Mother Jones put out the call To the hills of West Virginia came 13,000 strong Riding loose the old special 